Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales operations onto the show to deconstruct the why, what, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by Ebster, the leading customer engagement platform for Salesforce. Hello and welcome to the before Sales Ops Demystified episode. Um, as you can see, we're here in a WeWork in a bank station in London. Um, and you can see, is that the Bank of England? Royal Exchange. Royal Exchange. Starry behind us. Alex, can you just like move like a tiny bit? You see that there? Sweet. Um, so that's not the Royal Exchange. That's not the Royal Exchange. The Royal Exchange is below that. Below the middle. There you go. There we go. Um, and so, first of all, thank you for joining. Um, this is our what, this is our third interview episode, um, and we think they're getting better every time. I'm not going to say better quality than guests, <laughs> but we are, we're getting really good guests. Um, and quite interestingly, the guest we have today, Alex, knows the first guest we had, Justin. Um, and Justin and Alex are both awesome people in the sales commercial sales office space, but have come into sales office in a slightly different route. And we're going to talk about that today. So that's going to be super interesting. Hopefully, Justin is watching and he'll be dropping comments and questions. Um, so we're going to run, as always, for. Um, around 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, there are slides, you can probably see, they're quite small in the corner. Um, there's a few bullet points on those, and we'll be elaborating on them. If you have any questions throughout the whole time, ping them in the chat. We've got Josh over here. Josh, quickly run around. We'll give people a question and they have to come here. Um, uh, Josh is here, he'll ask a question, he'll send questions through to me. Um, and so we'll hopefully get them all answered uh, during the session as well. So with that, I want to welcome Henry. Thank you for coming back on Hello, thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> so I also want to officially um, welcome Alex. And so the first thing that we will be chatting about, or the first thing I want to cover, just to give context, is kind of an introduction to Alex and his route into sales ops. So the slides we're going to have, so that's the first one. So if you like to so want me to introduce myself, yeah. are you going to pick me up? Um, I, th I think <laughs> I should introduce myself. Yeah. Um, so I currently work at a company called Rocks on Me, um, and we are a relatively young uh, media database company. So we provide information to uh, the PR community, whether they're working within a company or whether they're working with PR agencies. And it's effectively a database of journalists, um, but we've led on all sorts of functionality and drives accuracy for the facilitation of their conversations with their target audience. 
Um, the founder is a guy called Alex Northwood, and he used to be a PR for uh, Morgan Stanley and JP Morgan for a number of years. Um, Realised there was this massive opportunity uh, to take what was effectively, I think, in those days, floppy disks uh, or even paper uh, digital, uh, and set up a company called Paul Khan, which very quickly became the sort of preeminent media database. Uh, he ran it for um, seven years, sold it in 2010, um, sold it very successfully. Uh, his business was then subsumed by uh, larger companies. Um, and uh, in 2014-15, he set up uh, Roxhill Media, um, and we now compete aggressively with Bukhara, um and are gloriously taking between one and two uh, companies away from the day. So, oh, okay. yeah. So, we're, we're very keen to compete. I think you're also the co founder of the Sales Ops Meetup in London. I am, yes. With Kirsty Charles. Well, well, Kirsty Charles. I didn't know you were a co founder. I thought it was with Kirsty. No, <laughs> no, you know. How about that? <laughs> um, yeah, no, so Kirsty and I, um, so Kirsty, as uh, I guess some of your audience may know, is head of sales operation for Signal Media. Signal Media provide a uh, media monitoring service. So they are sort of the other side of the coin to our business, and we are sister uh, companies, effectively. And Kirsty is going to be on in two weeks, we think, or maybe next week. That is certainly something yeah. that people should, should dial in for. Okay. Um, she's, she's excellent. Great. Um, she's an absolute world star when it comes to sales operations. So, so why did you start that group? Um, so we had met uh, at an event that Roxhill Media um, were putting on for uh, PRs. And uh, she was new to Signal Media um, when we started talking about the sales operation at all. And I'm, I'm um, uh, slightly sort of hybrid. I'm not, I'm not pure sales, which I should admit. Um, I do various different things for, for Roxhill Media. Um, and uh, she and I got talking and quite quickly started sort of sharing ideas and thoughts. And uh, we met up sort of once a month. Uh, and in one meeting, we both sort of came to the conclusion we should set up a sales ops meeting uh, or meet up. Um, it's gone from strength to strength. I totally agree. I was there a couple of weeks ago. It's really, really good. And there's going to be one next week, so we should pick that up. Yeah, um, anyway, I, I'm conscious that we, we, we focus on the business that you're going to do. We focus on you, Alex. Mm. So please, everyone watching is probably like, okay, Alex is a really nice guy. He works with his business. I can show my meat side if you want. To. <laughs> <laughs> nice guy. Um, so my background is sense. And in twenty, I, I, I think I put in by like twenty years. Yeah, over yeah. Over. I mean, not again. Don't give away your age. Jeez. Yeah. So I've been in sales. I was in sales for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started off in the publishing industry as uh, working for publishing ads, and then sort of went freelance and worked for lots of different publishing houses. Uh, quite quickly realised that um, publishing wasn't going to pay for a mortgage and children. Mm. Um, so sadly, moved out of publishing, uh, but moved into a company that I loved. Mm. Uh, I was at that company for 15 years. Um, and they were selling, absolutely. So, um, yeah, long time. Um, but I sort of started off as a, a junior salesperson, um, you know, sort of small accounts and, you know, doing things for the for the big dogs, um, and then um, you know, gain my own territories and, and accounts, uh, and then transition from sales um, after about ten years into more of a strategic role. Um, and so, I guess at that point, I was still very involved in sales, but more in sales operations. 
uh, or minimal sales strategy um, and looking at how to break into different markets with different platforms. So we provided a couple of different SaaS platforms for different processes. Um, and it was, you know, how do we how do we take those platforms that have a use in the in the US um, and create a new market for them in the UK and Europe. Um, and at the same time looking at how we talk to clients. And do you think it was important that you had a sales program to step into a more strategic role? And step into sales entrepreneur. Well, I think given sort of the company that I was working for, you know, I had a lot of experience in um, you know in what we did and how we did and who we were talking to. Um, so that able me to I think identify both you know the the markets that were potentially saturated for us, but also identify new markets. And I think given my understanding of the platforms, um, you know, I think it's always I think it's always useful and interesting to be able to look at the platform you're providing and you know what are the use cases are there for this. But I think it's you know it was it was interesting because we were in America it was an American company um, and the US drove a lot of decisions. And so there was a point along the process of saying honestly really this 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 should work, this will work, you know, we we tested it XYZ. Um, and I think you know when you are moving away from you know your sort of core um, your core service or the core functionality of the platform changing its use case. Um, you know people get a little edgy, um, but you know there was very little risk. There was potentially you know very high upside, um, and I think the combination of, of that sort of low risk. We were moving into a market where you know if we did go fair shape, it wasn't going to impact the rest of our um, you know the, the, the rest of our service and, and customer base. So, just to, to make it clear about your journey from selling, mm. it was after almost 10 years of selling. More, yeah, longer. So I was 10 years at that one company, and I, I, I mean, we're now talking about 30 plus years of selling. How and why did you make that shift from actually going and doing selling to this other life like metal role of strategy and operation? I think the company that I was working for at the time, I had a um, uh, I had a fantastic CEO effectively. She was um, uh, she ran the business and, and all aspects of the business for uh, me and APAC. Um, and she was, you know, I mean, I think the, the word inspirational gets banded around often and too often. Um, but she was she was really inspirational. She, you know, gave people you know autonomy and um, you know she was very commercial. Um, she was oddly, she was a very sort of introverted leader, um, but she was fantastically good at sort of ideas and at, um, you know, looking to sort of you know drive the business forward and think about diversification. Um, and so the opportunity was really driven by the opportunity to try to diversify, you know, our market uh, and into different markets. And it seemed a very exciting opportunity. Um, I've always, I had always enjoyed. The sales aspect, the people aspect of selling, um, and you know there was still the sort of um, you know ambitious, you know wanting to achieve element that I think you know is essential to any salesperson with this role because you know they're not going to do this without putting numbers next to your name. Um, so you know I still had numbers um, against my name, um, but you know it's working with teams um, and across teams. I see. Mm, nice. So, and then the next thing I want to touch on, we kind of did it then, was 
needing mm. some experience to do sales ops. Yes. And we saw the title of the question after that, which is what you think makes a really good yeah. sales ops person. Yeah, I don't I mean I don't I don't think it's essential. I don't think you need sales experience. Mm. I think in any role you want to take the more experience you have, whether it's a, of that role or other roles, it adds different dimensions to your ability to, you know, synthesize problems, to understand what's in front of you. Um, you to listen to people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think I think, you know, I always think that if you're, you know, you know, should I ask this person to do this or that? I always sort of try to put myself in their shoes. You know, well, what would happen if someone asked me that? You know, I'd be happy. Um, and I think it's the same way in a work environment. You know, if you're able to understand um, other roles uh, to a much greater degree, you know, I think it's, um, I, I think it, it, you're able to facilitate your role in a role better. Um, and I think a lot of times, you know, doing what sales or does is, is about, you know, selling to your colleagues to an extent, you know. Oh, that's nice. That's really nice. <laughs> no, that's good. I really like that. But it's, but it's, it's, it's not selling, but it's, you know, you, it was a sales operation yeah. person. You know, you want people to um, adopt a process, mm. to do things in a particular way because you've looked at the data and the data says, you know, well, this isn't working, you know, would another way work? And so, you know, you need to go to your sales team and um, persuade them. But so I think if you if you understand what the pressures, uh, you know, the sales force are, I think if you understand the things that they have to do mm-hmm. and the ways that they do and the characters that often, you know, reside within sales teams. So how, 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 do, do, how, do, you, how do you persuade them to change their processes? Mm-hmm. How do you how do you do it? Is it carrot or stick? I'll do it any way I can, quite frankly. Um, I think again it's you know it's back to knowing who your team is. Um, you know, there are some people who will look at, you know, email marketing campaigns and you know, some of this is very much sort of your sphere, but you know, and potentially are you know experienced salespeople who say Good Lord, you're just spamming people. Um, and it's, you know, it's absolutely not true. So how do you get those people on board? And I think if you have, you know, done your research and if you are, and this probably comes on to your, your question about, you know, the things that make a great sales person, you know, I think if you really are interrogating the data that's in front of you, you can you can potentially see, you know, what's not working, what you know, what would work. Um, and I think then if you if you go to that team and say, look, you know, here are you know here are the things that we've been doing. This is where we've been doing it. You know, we don't believe that we're generating you know enough sales from this. You know, we need to look at, at this way. Um, and I think it's you know most people should listen to that. So there's like hard. I don't know, maybe harder than the web, but like analytical skills required. Yeah. Then also softer persuasive skills required. Yeah. I don't know how soft they have to be. <laughs> um, but yes, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, going with the question about what makes a good sales operations person, I think it is, um, you know, I think you, you have to like data. Mm-hmm. I think you have to enjoy it. But there is a lot of data out there and you can utilize it um, if you can harness it. Um, I think you have to have a, a very good attention to detail. Um, I think you have to be hardworking. You know, the, there's, um, you know, 
you spend a lot of time, I think, looking through the data. So I think what you're looking for in the data are anonymous. Um, you know, something to prove itself again and again and again. Great, you know, you, you can back on with that. But if there are anomalies in your data, if there are sort of, you know, why, why is, you know, that number showing up like that again and again, then I think, you know, you have to pick up on those things. So if, if, you're, a, if you're a new a new sales ops, um, if you have a new sales ops role in the business, you join this business, it's got 30 salespeople, it's got a sales manager. What are the first things you do? How do you, do you go and... Do you want to go and build those relationships first? Because it's the only way you can have influence in the business. So um, I think size matters. Um, and I think, you know, if you have 30 salespeople, it's very different from the environment in which I work, you know, which has 10 salespeople. Um, I think, you know, when you when you have, um, and I, I think the same goes for the, the data sets as well. Um, I think when you have a very large sales team, you know, it's it's as much about you know the tools and the technology and the process. Um, you know, you may not have the time, the geographical, you know, ability to talk to the sales team and persuade them for the X, Y, and Z. So I think it comes much more back to you know, this is the data that we have. This is what we're learning from, and these are best practices. Um, and I do think that you know a lot of our sales operations, which I said Phil isn't isn't a isn't a you know it's, it's not in its infancy, but it's it's not a, a sort of a super established uh, career. I think um, I think there is a huge amount of learning that is done among sales operations people. I think um, hence the webinar, hence the webinar, hence the sales operations yeah. meetup group. Um, and I also think that you know, Henry, your sales, your marketing. Um, we were just saying that you know you guys have a, a close alignment within within Esther. Um, we have a very close alignment within Roxon, and I think that's essential. And you know that this is this is one of my favourite points right now. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to talk about this the uh, the merging of most of these commercial mm-hmm. teams. Yeah, revenue operations. Yeah. <laughs> Henry, revenue operations demystified this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll change it. Um, should we bring this discussion in now? Because I do want to cover this. Sure. Um, and it, it might have actually been you that I first got this wrong, or maybe it was, I think it was you, and the sales of the So, if then, I, like, I might just let you talk about it, but every webinar, it, almost everyone we bring on now is like, actually, this, this role sales also has to encompass potentially the customer success or what happens after the yeah. sale, and then also what happens before the sales team. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's one pathway, you know, and if you think about a sort of a sales funnel, you know, you're pouring, you know, leads or contacts or opportunities in at the top, and, you know, at the bottom comes client win. Um, but, you know, throughout this process, things are falling out of the funnel. And, you know, marketing is hugely involved, sales is hugely involved, and then, you know, post-client win, I think the, the sort of the old model where you had the sort of funnel ending with client win, you know, we're all in businesses where, you know, recurring revenue mm-hmm. is absolutely king. And if you think about investment cycles, you know, what investors look for in, in companies that they're going to invest in is, you know, is, is, you know, an opportunity to sort of, you know, increase the revenue dramatically, but also have that base mm-hmm. of, of recurring revenue, well, annualized yeah. revenue. 
And so your client success team, your customer success team is hugely important as well. Um, do, we, do, do you have a high renewal rate? So we have uh, 81% in the first year and 96 in from, from then on. So we are in the process um, of... So we had we had a sales force who continued to look after clients. Uh, we had a group of account directors who managed the renewal process, and we had a team of account managers. And we're changing the account managers' roles into um, they're going to run the, the first year renewals, and we're backing that up with a, a nurture campaign and marketing. To, you know, as soon as they sign on, you know, they start getting emails that you know are very much you know value led. You know, here's the best way to do this. Have you you know seen this particular trend in X Y Z? Week after they, they yeah, I think I think month after for the campaign, for the nurture campaign. But you know, when we were looking at the nineteen percent that were moving away, and then to be clear, there was a large uh, percentage of that, almost seventy percent of that group weren't going to a competitor. They were just saying, well, "Do you know what? We, we don't feel we need it." Um, it's it's not as if we have a high value on the platform, but we had a number of clients who you know who are not a, you know really in cash, and therefore even the amount that we charge was something that, that they would have to back in their budgets. So if we can demonstrate value in that first year, um, and you know it, it, it appears already this year to be uh, to be working. So even with that sort of the nurture campaign, the fact that we focused on it, and again that's a data driven, you know, a, a data driven result. You know, what are we looking at? Why are we looking at? It? Who's going where? Um, and that's you know very much sort of the sales us. Revenue operating, but I think we were talking about the sort of the, the, the division between marketing and sales, um, and uh, so not uh, Justin Curzon's part of the business, but another part of the business really um, had uh, you know a, a really rigid demarcation lines between the marketing team and the sales team. In the previous business. In the previous business, yeah. Um, and it was just, you know, it's completely effective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the salespeople were much more inclined to say, I don't want my clients in that campaign. Right. You know, we haven't fed into any of this. Um, and one of the things, so when I joined Roxel, we didn't have a marketing team at all. It was me. No, it's never going to get us anywhere. Me and campaign monitor, as good as it is, uh, wasn't wasn't really up stretch. So we now have we've, we've got a marketing team of four, um, and we work extremely closely. Who report to me? We work really closely with the sales team, um, and our head of marketing's view on it is that her role should be 60% in support of sales and 40% in support of the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, those, those two things are, you know, symbiotic anyway. You know, they, both, they both help each other. Um, and I think it's huge. So what kind of technology are you using across marketing and sales? So we are... Um, do, do you use a CRM? We do use a CRM. We use a CRM called Capsule, um, okay. which is a... Um, I, I, I really like it. I think the whole CRM... Question is one that uh, one could entertain me talking about for hours. Uh, I can't even roll there on this when I try and talk about it. But, um, it's, it is, um, it's a very straightforward CRM. It doesn't have a huge amount of bells and whistles, but it does exactly what we need it to do. Um, we, 
to have um, a marketing automation platform. We use HubSpot. Uh, we use Zero for accounting. Um, we use Heap to integrate uh, platform, yeah, uh, platform usage. Um, and we try to get them, I mean, they do all talk to each other other than HubSpot, which is preferred. Um, because I'm also the CRM, the sales CRM. Um, but I think what's important, and then I use Excel. Um, I use yes, so, so Excel is a, it's a frequently used tool. Yeah, absolutely. Used tool. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I try to automate as much as I can. Um, so obviously the platforms, um, you know, help us with managing part of our data. But Capsule doesn't provide um, some of the in-depth analytics that we might want for the management team. And you know, I think um, one of the, the, the questions that sort of always comes to mind about CRMs is, um, you know, who's, who's it for? I mean, you know, it should be for the sales team, the sales team should be using it to manage their relationships, and, yeah. you know, keep their task ticking over all the rest of it. Um, I think you know, that was the view of a CRM, you know, five to ten years ago. Um, and I think the, the sort of the pendulum song to, you know, CS, this is fantastic. I can get all this data out of it. This is wonderful. Um, but you then got a layering on of, of you know, the sales director saying, actually, before you close this opportunity, one or lot, you've got to check this box, you've got to check that box. Mm-hmm. And suddenly administration, you know, in a major way became involved. Um, and, you know, not necessarily the salesperson spread. But if, if you're giving a report to senior directors of, you know, financial reporting mm-hmm. or opportunity reporting, are you, are you giving it to them in Excel? Is it is so, data heavily? So um, I, I do both. Um, I will use our platforms to provide one set of information, but I will also uh, layer in, you know, I guess more sort of qualitative information. And I think, you know, another one of the, the questions around uh, forecasting is, you know, how do you manage that? Is it entirely quantitative and you're just looking at the data? Um, or are you going to a sales team and saying, you know, talk to me about your pipeline, you know, where where is it strong? You know, what analysis have you provided to this last pitch of this meeting? Um, and I, you know, I think we tend to rely on a combination of both quantitative and qualitative um, analysis for certainly, you know, forecasting. So you think that you could, you, you in businesses that just use quantitative to say forecast, you think they are doing sales a disservice? You think it's not? Good? I don't necessarily think they're doing sales a disservice, but I do think you need a large data set. I think in order to um, generate patterns and to be able to, uh, I think, analyze effectively, you need a, you need sure. a pretty big data set. Um, well, a, a big data set is always going to give you better results, I think, in a more established result. Because, uh, you know, managers always want to just look at a dashboard, maybe, and just see mm-hmm. the numbers, but that doesn't always give us a true capture of what's really going on. And then, no matter how good people are putting stuff into the CRM. Well, that's the other issue, isn't it? I mean, you know, people aren't necessarily great at putting things into the CRM. Sure. But then you have, you know, you have that issue with the policy analysis. You always have something like, yeah, you know, that yeah, this, this thing's coming through, and you know they go on strike. Um, so you know, um, there is always that element of, of, of people either you know consciously wanting to present a better picture than actually exists, or just being overly optimistic. 
term optimism. Yeah, but I think, but I think that's, I think that's the other important thing about relationships between sales ops and sales mm -hmm. managers and directors. Um, so we have, um, uh, and then to Larry and marketing as well. We have a sales meeting with marketing comes every week. Um, we have one-to-ones with uh, each of the sales team. Um, that's sales director and me. Um, and, you know, I think you're then able to get a much better picture of, you know, the, the quantitative measures, you know, what does capital say about your pipeline, but then sitting down and talking to them about, you know, the next three months. And so we have, we have policy measures, you know, obviously, you know, you have your pipelines and there is a, you know, weighted percentage against that, which I think is a slight fees, we then ask the sales team to say, you know, in the next three months, you need to apply 75% likelihood of a deal coming in. Right. Um, and and that's, that's proven pretty accurate. Um, and there might be some shift in, in the timeline. Um, but, you know, you, as, as we look at it the whole time, you sort of see the numbers as the, as the months draw closer to you. You see the numbers going up and, you know, that they sort of tear off the business as, you know, wins come through. Um, but I think that quality measure works really well. I think the combination of sales manager and, and sales ops working together works really well. And do you think technology is crucial to to, to sales ops? Do you think it's it's part yeah. of the role? Is it? It's an intimate part. Mm -hmm. That's being able to manage and decide on what those solutions might be for the sales team. Well, I think firstly, there's, there's too much data out there now mm -hmm. to not have technology provide a solution. Um, and I think, you know, we, we talked about the platforms that, you know, we use at Rockstar, and the thing that I like most about those platforms is that they do talk to each other. So, you know, we will start a process off with the salesperson, you know, putting this little data into the CRM as they can possibly do. Um, but then, you know, that builds up over time. We win the deal. You know, our finance team take, you know, that data and put it into zero, which then pushes any addresses that aren't already in the CRM in, into Capsule, the accounts management team, um, you know, the client services team, you know, will then pick up that client. They will be using uh, Capsule to find out, you know, who are these clients, what are they doing? But they'll be analysing heat from that point on, you know, who's using this you know, and, and so we look at people to both discover, um, you know, how people are using it and, mm -hmm. you know, whether we can detect patterns. But we also use it as a risk analysis. If someone has 10 licenses and only five people are using it, and those five people are using it, which are, you know, very irregularly, by the time they come to their renewal, you know, if they ask the difficult questions, like, how many licenses? You know, um, and... and we, we price on sort of banded levels. Sure. Um, you know, you, you don't want someone realizing quite quickly that they're, you know, wildly overpaying. Um, it just you know, makes conversations difficult. Mm -hmm. So we'd rather understand that in the earliest stage and get those people using it, you know, more training. Very interesting. Do we have any questions? Judging those are the ones that you have Okay. So I've got a I've got an interesting question. Um, do you have a single metric you can judge all sales users by in your business? 
So sales use as in who's using my CRM and how they're using it and yes. or do I how do I it could be, I judge myself? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. it could be it could be because they're different things. They're very different things. And I think traditionally there's been a you know the sales user sits at the center of you know various different technology platforms and do you judge them by you know who's putting in great data, who's putting in poor data, who's shipping their milestones along at a mm-hmm. seed rate? Um, and we tend not to do a lot of that. Do you have enough time to close as a metric that you? No, you don't. Anymore? So the the issue, and I think we're I think we're a slightly unusual company in that um, because we know exactly who our clients are or, or our prospects are and who they you know, we found it all karma. So we sort of know who we need to talk to a lot of the time. Um, and so there's an element of, of, of knowing when we need to talk to them and if we have missed the relevant date. It's not as if, you know, that is an opportunity that's closed. Okay. Um, you know, we just see it as, right, well, we've given them X amount of data. We've discovered what else they need from us, you know, what the pinch points are, um, and we go back. So the, the, the sales cycle is about um, six to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. But we do understand that there is potentially, as we come, you know, to people we've not spoken to, and this comes back to the brand thing. You know, how do we build our brand so that when our salespeople pick up the phone, they know that you know who we are and what our history is and how we differ from from you know our, our main competitor. Um, but we understand that there may be quite a long time when they're tied into something, um, and also you know our, our, our main competitor tends to aggressively enforce um, an auto-renew policy. Okay. Um, and it pisses a lot of people off. Yes. But, it, you know, it, it, it makes our job so much easier, you know, the, the, the next cycle. Um, so we don't, we don't, we don't um, I guess, look at that metric as being something that, you know, drives success or lack of success mm-hmm. for a salesperson. Um Somewhat, I guess, prosaically, one of the things that I look at is activity. You know, okay. I think you've just been laughing. We asked that question, and mm. I don't know if our guest already said that, but we came to the conclusion that potentially it was going to be a time spent seller whenever we came up, which is almost similar. Okay, so time spent selling. I mean, when I when I think about what the salespeople do um, and how they do it, and each salesperson does it slightly differently, but when I hear them on the phone, some of them will cycle through their calls really quickly. You know, they will ascertain, you know, when is your when is your renewal date? And then boom, they're off. You know, can I send you some literature? Don't want to waste your time. I'll call back when and then move through really quickly. Part of me wonders whether, you know, there is a, an opportunity to push a little harder. Um, and certainly with larger companies where there might be capacity for you know, multiple platforms and, and our main competitor and, and Roxel have slightly different uh, functionalities. So, you know, we're not complementary, but we're not necessarily, you know, two entirely separate things. Um, so, you know, I think I think it is good to move through those accounts quite quickly. Um, you know, we do know that it is, you know, a 
a week trial or less than a week trial, and we, we tend to be you know pretty quick to move people on if, if at the end of the week they haven't been trialing it. But you know, again, back to the marketing, we had a, an automated trialists campaign. Mm -hmm. So you sign up for a trial, you get put into a campaign, you get three emails in the week telling you how to do it. Three emails a day. Yeah. Uh, do, 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 you do you have a customer, a customer success manager or a pre sales person looking after the trial process? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's the sales team. Sales okay, team. Sales yeah. Team. yeah. So we're pretty, I mean, we're, we're 40 people. Um, so, you know, 10 of them sales. Uh, we have, um, you know, four account managers. Um, you know, tech for marketing, but we're not a big company, so you know, it means that you know, I do lots of different things. Sure. Uh, Jack and Craig's master of none. Uh, so, 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 within, within your sales, <laughs> within your sales ops role, what's your biggest challenge that you, that you have that you face? Um, data and time, data and time. So is that is that the time to process it and to, to understand what's, what's it's just there isn't enough time in one's day to, to do all the things that you would want to do. Um, and, and again it goes back to attention to detail and you know looking at quite large data sets and, and some of that stuff does take time. Okay. Um, so you know time time is, is sort of a luxury. And then data, partly because I guess we're doing quite a lot of stuff outside of the platforms, you know. There's a lot of data flying around the office, mm -hmm. um, and you know we try to ensure that we have you know naming conventions across all of our platforms. Um, but you know that doesn't always happen. You get web leads that people describe themselves as being you know from a from an allied company, and okay. you know so so harnessing the data, you know it has to be as clean as possible. Um, but ensuring that it's been is you know, it's a never-ending task, or as soon as possible, mm -hmm. is a never-ending task. And particularly given that you know the platforms like Capsule that we're using are you know are, are very simple and straightforward. Um, so it's generally Capsule. It's really good. No, no, I understand. But you shouldn't sometimes. You're making you're not making do, but you're, you're utilizing all the features you mm -hmm. need to. So yeah. You could invest in another CRM that typically costs. We could, yeah, cost several times yeah. more. Yeah, an offer way more. We've features. looked at, and we've looked at them. We've looked at, you know, we've been through processes. You know, when we when we brought on HubSpot, you know, it was obviously the, the the time to say, well, you know, should we be changing our CRM at the same time? You know, should we be getting HubSpot's you know marketing automation platform and its sales CRM. Um, so we went through a process of looking, really looking at all the platforms we used, um, and I think partly uh, because the sales team, you know, I think CRM, you know, does have to come back to sales teams rather than the marketing uh, management boards. But you know, part of the sales team knew it and liked it. Um, we were bringing on HubSpot. There's a lot of change going on in the company anyway. And I think the question has raised its head again now that we've got the account management team turning to okay. our services. You know, is this the right time to, to create, you know, to, to buy in different platforms? So we have brought in Freshdesk um, as, a, as a, you know, a servicing tool. But um, for that reason, we're continuing. We're going to say with, with Capital. That's one of the reasons we're going to say with Capital. Sounds, um, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're, you have all the functionality you need, so what yeah. you have? You, you, you'll have well, data that could be bad. You'll have disgruntled users. It's it's always a balance, isn't it? You know, yeah. 
something like Salesforce has a so much more functionality, and there are so many companies that provide you know analytical tools that that you layer onto it. Um, so you know, would I enjoy it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'd love to see more data. It's well, probably it's more data, but I think some of the you know I think some of the Salesforce partners um, you know provide really interesting and really clever. Um, services and functionality and you know I think if you are a small company it's really useful to have that support you know and I think often the cost of these things it's it's very attractive on the way because there's there's this whole host of features that you can utilise but you have to have people managing that constantly to get the most out of it sure but then we have you know probably me managing a bunch of different excels um and, you know, as many formulas as, as you can throw in there and as much automation as you can apply to, to Excel, you know, and it's pretty slick. It still takes a lot of time. Um, so, you know, management report week is always fun. Cool. Okay, so we're coming in. I thought we might have had some audio. might have been a bit quiet. Um, that's fine. We can clear that up a little bit. Um, we have one final question that we're actually going to ask every guest going Excellent. Um, I think I might know who you say, but I'm not going to argue to say because you've already said it today. Uh, which is who, it's kind of a two part question. Like, who has really taught you what you know? Mm. Also, if it's probably the same answer, if you could say one person in sales loss, out for lunch, mm. yeah, who lives in London? Okay. <laughs> and they even Kirsty, because we're going to talk about Kirsty. So, who would you think I would say? Kirsty. Why can't I say Kirsty? Uh, because we've already had, we've already talked about how great Kirsty is. Okay. Kirsty is very really great. So, so I think the choice for me is, is you know, who sort of taught me uh, about sales ops? Uh, possibly a little incestuously. One is Justin Kirsty, who you've had. Yeah. <laughs> but I think what what I thought was really interesting about his role is he he didn't come from sales ops. He came into sales ops here and didn't part of the business. Um, but he has a very very analytical mind. He's super sharp. Um, and we talked about, you know, the importance of being sales or sales operations or whatever. Um, and, and Justin wasn't either of those things, but worked, um, I think, pretty effectively with the sales team. Uh, I'm not sure the sales team enjoyed it much um, because he would put data in front of them and say, look, it's right there. And you're like, ah, uh, I'm not sure. Maybe I didn't put it. You know, it's marvelous. Um, and so I think, you know, talking about, you know, is there a soft side of spending people to do things? I think when you put the data in front of people, you know, particularly salespeople who will try to sell one way out of anything, um, you know, it's sort of black and white in front of them. And there's very little wiggle room. So I learned a lot from Justin. Um, but honestly, if I'm the choices between going out to lunch with Justin and Kirsty, I'm sorry, Justin. <laughs> it's a hands down win to Kirsty. Okay, cool. Um, Okay, we're going to wrap it up there. Um, thank you everyone for watching. Apologies if we had audio issues. We'll clear that up on the replay. Um, I want to say thank you to Alex for being an amazing host and for dropping some bombs. What was that thing that we were like, oh, that how actually sales operations is almost a sales job. So sales. Yeah. I think you have to expect people to, you know, uh, adopt the, the sales operations process and salespeople aren't necessarily always good on process. Exactly. That, so that's a great every one of these if you like one or two absolutely great little insights and quotes um, awesome so Henry anything else to add 
Uh, no, we'll the next week. Thanks, thanks so much, Alex. Well, thank you very much for having me. Great fun. Oh, final slide. Um, any questions about EBSA? We don't really talk much about EBSA, but Henry's your man. I put your Gmail in. I'm not sure. That's that. absolutely okay. fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just your I'm probably going to be less able to answer questions about cluster. Oh, that's, that's the hangover. I'll change that up. Um, Rory, would you like to know? Yeah. <laughs> um, next week, we have Kirsty on. Excellent. Um, and it's going to be actually on Wednesday. Um, because one of us is not available on the Thursday. 5 p.m. next Wednesday, live, uh, we'll send people an email with a link to sign up. But thank you so much. Everybody. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified Podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.